0: MLC, the Big Show, first show in August. We got some cattle content coming at you fast. But today we have a uh, industry figurehead, LoseTalesMedia.com, and also Trent Loose on Facebook. He's worldwide, baby, and now he's on the Big Show.
1: We'll just pile right in here and get to the meat of the podcast, okay?
0: That's what we do. We get to the meat. People
1: trying to demonize it. That's a good play on words. Good job. This is Matt Lautner on the Big Show podcast. Got Trent Loose, is that how you pronounce it? Loose? Loose on the loose. I've seen and heard you from afar for several years now. I mean, I guess I hadn't ever sat down and listened to a full podcast before the last week or two. And Amanda Radke comes on your show every Thursday. Can you start off by just giving my audience that may not be aware of you, like your beginning story just quickly, and then tell us a little bit about your platform currently? Sure. I'm sixth generation man
0: from the land. I actually grew up at Quincy Illinois. You're from the same hometown as Nolan Fleschner and also Tom Klinger who have been on the show in the last month. My family still farms the same land that the first loose came to from Germany in 1832. So this is outside of what you're talking about but I don't think I'll ever have a chance to ever talk about my grandpa Lotner again. So he grew up in Tell City Indiana in southern Indiana served in World War II and uh, over on the front lines in Europe And then he moved to Iowa after the war and uh, settled down in Jefferson, Iowa. So shout out to my old grandpa, Walt Lautner, one of the best human beings I've ever met. And really what we're talking
1: about here, Matt, is that we have a bunch of people trying to define sustainability and tell farmers how to farm. And for somebody, and we have many farmers all across the country that have this same story, that have been taking care of the same property for 100 years, and now we've got somebody sitting in a cubicle That thinks they're going to design a sustainability concept and program
0: for the farmer. I will say this. I get frustrated and disappointed with people that get their education and knowledge about livestock or ag from a textbook. I'm out. In 2000, I walked into a radio studio where Kelly and I
1: had moved to uh, the Rosebud Indian Reservation. And we had 300 cows at the time, 300 limousine, purebred limousine cows, selling about 60, 70 purebred bulls a year. And I got tired of people not understanding who was involved in producing food and, and people trying to tell farmers how to farm. So I walked into Jim Thompson's radio studio in 1999. I said, hi, my name is Trent Luce, sixth generation United States farmer. I want my own radio show. And he looked at me and he laughed. And I, said, uh, I sat down. He
0: said, oh, you're serious. I said, sir, I'm not leaving until we get a deal. Your entry into radio or broadcasting or being an advocate or whatever you describe yourself is a lot like me uh, pursuing my wife. I just sat down and I said, we're going to make a deal, and we're not leaving this room until the deal is made. By golly, it worked out. I've cared for more than one million animals in my
1: lifetime. And here we have people who have never touched an animal, never... Had to breed a cow, never loaded a, a steer, never did anything, or loaded a m- market hog. There's where you really test your resilience. <laughs> they're telling people how to take care of animals. So they said, we can either stand by and complain about what's happening, or we can get involved, tell the story, and be part of the solution. And so in 22 years, I've been very blessed to speak in 48 states in the United States to audiences, to actual audiences. I've spoken on four continents. And every time I speak, it is about connecting food producers to food consumers.
0: And also, past the point of uh, connecting consumers with producers, it's a national security issue, right? Domestic food production is a means of national security.
1: And, And, Matt, I told that story for 20 years, and nobody paid attention. In fact, in 2008, when California passed Proposition 2, I was in California 14 times trying to explain to them, if you do this, you're going to be one step closer to not having food production in California. California, by the way, is still the number one food producing state in the nation, but we've
0: decimated their infrastructure. So just as a basic theme of U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley's appearance and Amanda Radke's appearance and now your appearance, we are nine missed meals away from a revolution because these idiots are making it harder for ranchers to make food or they're given more restrictions. It's going to lead to food shortages
1: but in 2022 as a result of everything that's happened thanks mostly to an idiot by the name of biden we have people asking questions why have 37 food plants burned down in the past year and a half when the horse comes to the tank and is ready to drink you got to have some water there and that's what we're doing you're speaking my love language bashing on biden what a moron so you go ahead and you stack spaghetti
0: sauce at a store and in a supermarket. You control the guy or the woman who runs the run, run brings out the carts on on, on on a forklift.
1: The problem is that these aren't Biden initiatives. And, and I sure. hear you and Amanda and you had Klaus Schwab there in, in 15 months. I've spoken in 41 states about the 30 by 30 initiative that he signed January 27th, 2021. Executive Order 14008. And that is where the third by thir- 30 by 30 initiative comes from. But he did not come up with that. That came out of the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, and that's why the Danish farmers are going ballistic. That's why last week we saw Italian farmers driving tractors to town. Justin Trudeau's
0: his poster child, farmers <laughs> in Canada are being told they're not going to be able to use fertilizer. This is audience participation time. Go ahead and Google Justin Castro or Justin Trudeau. Uh, his real father is... Fidel Castro. Don't believe me? Google it. To
1: speak in 41 states and actually testify in four state capitals about the challenges and the dangers of 30 by 30 signed by Biden on January 27th, 2021, which is part of the whole United Nations and world government order. But case in point, it's already happening because I have a lot of people that say, oh, that, they just did that for rhetoric. They'll never put this together. Well, they already are putting it together. I just went through Casper, Wyoming. Outside of Casper, Wyoming, in May, there's a 35,000-acre ranch that sold. The Bureau of Land Management bought this ranch in cooperation with the conservative fund out of Arlington, Virginia, by the way, who brags about putting 8 million acres in conservation. The one thing, Matt, that we need to really focus on here is when they talk about putting things in conservation, they're not talking about producing food. They're talking about turning it back to its natural state and producing wildlife, and that does not feed the world. But the problematic part of this is the Bureau of Land Management bought this 35,000-acre ranch, and there's a protocol that when a federal government entity wants to buy any resource in a state, they contact and work with the state legislators and the governor of that state. The governor of Wyoming learned about the Bureau of Land Management buying a 35,000-acre ranch near Casper, Wyoming, by reading the newspaper. That's the problematic discipline that we have in this current administration and the White House. They do not follow protocol. They trample on property rights. They don't care about our rights as American citizens. And I'm not even sure they got a copy of the U.S. Constitution. This is cause for us, the people, to stand up and say we demand accountability to these unlawful tactics. That's amazing. I I guess I will have to do more research. I don't fully understand how in the hell they could do that without the governors relating it to the show world. I don't know what you feel like your audience is, but like my own audience would be more show livestock. I mean, what will some of these policies or green new deals or bullshit, as I like
0: to call it? If seen through to completion. We've seen a lot of changes during COVID and the recovery from COVID on changes to livestock. How can we expect to see changes with these green new policies? Yeah,
1: I actually am really glad you asked that question because, you know, we've been very involved in exhibiting livestock, particularly cattle and pigs, for my entire life. And in that world, and I did hear your conversation again with Amanda, and it's a great escape. And we tend to think that we're isolated from these situations. And a ranch that's that sells unlawfully in Wyoming as part of 30 by 30 is not going to affect me and my show cattle operation. Well, that's that's not true, and here's why. If you've been paying attention to what's happening on the global stage, we just had some hoof and mouth of disease found in food in Australia, and they shut down an airport, and they disrupted livestock production in that area of Australia for a period of time. My big concern, Matt, is that you cannot legally cross the state line hauling a show animal without a health paper. If if the African swine fever makes its way to the land of the United States, what you're going to see happen is a shutdown of livestock transportation for all reasons immediately.
0: Okay, here we go. Rabbit hole time. I mean, it's just easy to imagine them using something like these diseases you're talking about in livestock to force their green new deals upon us because, you know, a little thing like COVID was a shit show for a year and a half, two years, limiting ivermectin and HCQ use whenever they had these vaccines that don't work, vaccines that don't vaccine, uh, it's just tough to imagine what they could do deliberately to inflict their green new policies upon us.
1: And so my concern is that with the agenda and the people who are pulling the strings in today's world, they're looking for every avenue possible to disrupt livestock production. And the number one, the number one way they do that is disrupt the transportation of livestock and they can only control it when you cross the state line. And that's why you don't need a health paper to go from one place to another in Iowa or Nebraska. But if you cross the state line, you're in federal jurisdiction. When they start putting more scrutiny and start telling you that you can't take an animal out of your state, that's when they really put the screws to us. So the whole agenda is to eliminate the ownership and the consumption of animal protein and animal fats. That's what leads to healthy human beings, by the way, and that's what leads to a healthy planet. That's what they want to disrupt. We in the show industry are not immune to these bigger world issues because we are driven by our ability to get a health paper to say we can transport these animals. I just gotta put in my two cents on eating bugs or
0: (laughs) trying to make plant protein the most uh, available source. I think when it comes to impossible meats or vaccines, Bill Gates is crazy and living a fairy tale land and uh have you ever seen any of
1: these people that are vegans or, i mean, I don't have anything personally against them but they seem to age a lot faster than people that are ingesting red meat and fat well actually I, I want to interject there because when i started doing this 22 years ago the first thing i did is i went to every animal rights convention i could find i went to one in outside of washington dc in arlington virginia that a thousand people actually attended And when they figure, and I put on my tag, sixth generation livestock farmer, because I want them to know what I proudly do. And every one of these animal rights uh, individuals across the country, all of the executives, I've met them personally. I've had conversations with them. In fact, September the 10th, I'm scheduled to debate one of the most, uh, we've got 17 felony arrest indictments against him right now, Wayne Song for illegally breaking and entering with direct action. We are to debate at a veggie fest in Salt Lake City on September the tenth. So I go out of my way to sit and visit with these people. And they also have put on the on the radio in interviews recovering vegans who who walk me through the cult of what got them to the point where they continue to get sicker. As they get more sick, they talk to their vegan cult leaders and you know what they tell them? Well, you're not vegan enough. You've got to be more vegan. And there's a lady in California. I've had her on the radio several times. She she was so sick she could not function. And finally she had an awakening that it was her avoidance of animal products that was leading to her the disruption of her health. Now she's a beautiful lady and comes out and tells a story of how dangerous this movement is. Yeah, whenever I think about my uh, upbringing growing up in central Iowa, my my mom in particular, you can see that she was being influenced about trying to cut red meat out or cut fat out. And honestly, now that I'm 40, I think that that's all just green liberal bullshit. Because I do think that uh, you think about the evolution of man. We've gotten along with uh, eating animal protein and
0: fat for Thousands of years, I didn't get around by eating lettuce and grass so mom I still love you But stop buying the skim milk buy that red full flavor stuff whole milk It's better for you and also don't buy lean hamburger eat that steak and eat the fat too. It's good for you It's what your body runs off of
1: You're spot-on, but it's bigger than that. It's not just about being green and I, I didn't fully understand this myself until we went through the COVID era, but I've been fighting the Health and Human Services and the USDA for 20 years. They've been putting together the uh, dietary guidelines that all schools, all hospitals, military, any institution must follow, and they've demonized animal protein and animal fat. And I thought it was exactly what you just said because they just have an agenda and, and they sympathize with the animals. That's not at all what it is. They knew they were going to bring about biological warfare, and the, hum, the human immune system, just like the animal's immune system, when we take care of animals, our number one job is to make sure their immune system is at an all-time high, so whatever disease challenge, whatever stress they are induced with, their immune system fights it off. That's what they've done to the human population. By altering our diet and and telling us not to eat the very ingredients that lead to a healthy immune system, they've created a, a susceptible human population because our immune system collectively as a nation cannot fend off what we're being exposed to right now so it's been a long-term plan since 1977 in fact i can document when it started and you can read the book the big fat surprise by nina teichel who was a 27 year vegetarian before she wrote it because she has documented all of that in this book the big fat surprise i'd bring up nina teichel uh she is a guest on uh vinnie torterish podcast and, and during my most uh Fitness-oriented years, that's kind of the podcast that I rely on. He often has recovering vegans. I just think it's funny to say the word recovering vegan. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been on Vinny's show, and Vinny's been on my show. He is, uh, he's so doing he a great job. Awesome. Yeah. He does an awesome job. So just relating it one more time back to Show Livestock. People think that it's impossible to uh, bar interstate health papers or whatever. You just relate it back to covid And COVID was a terrible thing in terms of the lockdowns and then the show livestock community coming back and having like uh, undercover pig shows I heard about. They found ways to make it work. And we might have to be doing that again if if these sorts of lockdowns happen. But just relating what happened with COVID lockdowns and vaccine mandates to what they could possibly do to show livestock, it it shouldn't be be beyond the realm of possibility to anybody. That This actually could be coming, and it could be coming a lot quicker than guys think. So, I mean, as a point of action, how can we be pushing back? Not everyone has a platform like uh, Trent Luce. And, I mean, just what can we be doing in our day-to-day? This is a great discussion, particularly for your audience and for everybody to think about. But the state veterinarian is extremely important in every state. I mean, I talk a lot about the state governor and, and elected officials, but that state veterinarian.
0: Got it. Okay, state veterinarian. I'm going to post the Iowa state veterinarian just so everybody from the local audience can find it. And I encourage everyone else to reach out and find their state veterinarian.
1: Right now in Pennsylvania, there's a state veterinarian that does not follow the science. And, Matt, here's what it all comes back to. The industry, let's just take the. The pork industry, or we can talk about beef cattle if you want to as well, but the pork industry has, they have the, the political clout in every state to call the state veterinarian and say we cannot allow these kids hauling these animals around the state and putting our beef feed lots or putting our dairies or putting our pork operations in jeopardy. And I'm telling you, that happens every single day. I talk to these state vets. I've spoken to state vets all across the country. I've spoken to them in audiences. I had a 1,000 pig vets in my audience in Dallas one day. I know what kind of lobbying they get every day from the industry to shut down the transportation of show animals because they perceive them as a threat to the health of the species. And so for that reason, it's important that people know their state vet and they communicate exactly what they do. And we're talking about dealing with perception, and we need to make sure that the state vet is using science because that's what it's all about. You're a wealth of knowledge, sir. So I appreciate you joining me here for a few minutes as you're traveling from Wyoming back to Springfield, Missouri, with a pit stop in in central Nebraska at your home location. Uh, hopefully we can uh, have you back on someday to uh, talk more because I think you're – Knowledge and your delivery is just gonna hit a lot of people dead center in terms of my audience. So I appreciate you taking the time. I apologize for being in somewhat of a spotty cell signal, but uh, hey, that's the beauty of rural America, right there. Beauty of podcasting, baby. So, thank you very much, Trent. I've uh, seen you around. Your you said earlier something about uh, what did you say? Oh, when people see your name tag, they know you're associated with livestock and. I'm going to tell you, just from a distance, just from, as a student of the marketing game, the uh, handlebar mustache and the cowboy hat probably probably was a, a dead giveaway before they saw your name tag. <laughs> well, they think I'm Wyatt Earp. They don't know about livestock <laughs> agriculture at that time, but they've all seen the movie <laughs> Tombstone, so I just build on that. And I was in a movie, too. I helped write a movie in and in a movie that uh, tells that story that we've been talking about right here. It's on Netflix. What's that movie called? The Stand at Paxton County. Cool. The Stand at Paxton County. I have at least two bits of information that I'm going to go research. The Benny Torteritz podcast and now The Stand at Paxton County on Netflix. Can't wait to listen to them and watch him. All, right. All so. right. Well, I look forward to getting together. Maybe uh, I don't think I'm going to make it to the Iowa State Fair, but I'll see you somewhere down the dusty trail. We'll see you later, Wyder. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. All righty, bye.
0: Okay, to wrap this deal up, Trent Luce does look a lot like Wyatt Earp. And just to be clear, the best Wyatt Earp movie is Tombstone with Kurt Douglas. It's not Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner. Don't believe me? Listen to this. Tell you one thing, though. Ever saw a rich man didn't wind up with a guilty conscience? I already got a guilty conscience. Might as well have the money, too. Good day, now. (laughs) Law dog. You don't step aside, we'll tear you apart. You die first, get it?
1: Your friends might get me in a rush, but not before I make your head into a canoe. You understand me?
0: He's bluffing, let's rush him. No. He ain't bluffing.
1: You're not as stupid as you look, I.
0: <laughs>
1: Nerve-wracking sons of bitches. Something on your mind? Just want to let you know you're sitting in my chair. <sighs> Is that a fact? Yeah, that's a fact. Well, for a man that don't go healed, you run your mouth kinda reckless, don't you? No need to go heel to get the bulge on a tub like you. Is that a fact? Hmm. That's a fact. I'm real scared. Damn right you're scared. I can see that in your eyes. All right, now, go ahead. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Listen, mister, I'm getting awful tired of your- I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that pistol and go to work.
0: I said throw down, boy. (laughs) And since we're talking about Tombstone, we might as well mention old Doc Holliday, one of the best performances ever by Val Kilmer. You, music lover, you're next. Drunk piano player. You're so drunk, you can't hit nothing. In fact, you're probably seeing double. I have two guns. One for each of you. (laughs) Didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry.